Well, good morning. So glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, It's been busy around here, if you haven't noticed. This last week, we had FCA Power Camps. Uh, So our local outreach parker, Chris Chris Sturdivant and Britton Hastings, uh, they were here with their teams and a bunch of kids doing volleyball and football. It was wild. Um, The Kentucky Missions team is back this morning. They came back a day early, and I think they're just excited to be in a room that has air conditioning. I know it was really hot in Kentucky. And then this week, uh, if you didn't know, uh, by the end of today, this place will be transformed and it'll look like a wonderland of all sorts of crazy things for Vacation Bible School that's coming up this week. And so I wanted to encourage you as a congregation, specifically this week, to be praying about Vacation Bible School. This is probably one of our largest outreach events, and there's a lot of kids from church that come, but we're known in the community for this event, and a lot of families come who don't understand the gospel. And so today, this week, every night, would you pray with me, pray with the leadership, pray as a church body um, that we would point children and their parents when they come to the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, all right, so today we're going to get started and we're going to be finishing the book of James. There's uh, two last verses that we're going to go through. It's been a great series and I know that we've really learned a lot. James is kind of blunt or to the point, isn't he? I mean, lots of lessons and some are simple and some are complex. Uh, There's lots of practical ways for us as believers to live in this book. And today we have the last two verses of the book. And honestly, he really keeps with this same tone here. In many other New Testament books, um, the author will finish by exhorting or encouraging the people that he's writing to. And here, James just sort of gives a last thought, and we're done. Listen, James 5, 19 through 20. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I kind of see this like a uh, mic drop moment for James, right? The entire book is written to those who already believe, and it's to help us live faithfully as followers of Jesus. And he just kind of drops the mic and ends and walks off the stage. He ends like that. It's kind of weird. I um, personally, in my opinion, it seems like he ends the book like this because he knows it's hard. He knows being a follower of Jesus is not an easy thing. And it's a reminder that all of these things that he's talked up through, that we must live in community to finish the race well. So let's pick up these verses, let's pick them apart, and let's see what we can learn together this morning. So, have you ever been in a scary situation? I'm sure you have. Um, Imagine with me that it's July 4th, and you have decided that you don't want to go to the town fireworks. Instead, you're going to do some fireworks at your own house for your family and your friends, right? So you cross state lines, and you go to the fireworks store, and um, 
you're at the fireworks store and you've got a budget in mind, right? But there's all these like buy one, get 750 free. Um, there's all these different options that can take place. And so, you know, you've, you've picked out a ton. You've made a small mortgage investment on fireworks. You've brought them back um, now. You've crossed state lines and you've come back to, uh, to your house. I mean, nobody in Carroll County does that, right? Um, okay, so you're back. It's now July 4th. It's the morning. And, and you decide to go out and you're going to strategically lay out all of these fireworks because you want this to be a spectacular show for your friends and family. I mean, after all, you spent a lot of money, so you need it to be really good. So you line them all up, kind of the bad ones over here, and then in the middle it gets a little bit better, and by the end, you know, it's the really big ones. You might have even taken the fuses and fused a few of them together so that at the finale when you light one, a couple go off, right? You've got that going on. Um, if you're really into it, you might have a sound system or it, like old days like a boom box because what fireworks spectacular is not complete without the da -na 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 -na, right? Okay. Everything's set up. It's dark. Your family uh, and your friends, they come out. They've got lawn chairs and blankets. They're ready, everything's going, and you take the lighter and you, first you press play on the boom box. That's like old school, but that's what you do. And then you go and you light the first one and the first one goes off and you hear oohs and ahs. Um, yeah, okay, so there's oohs and ahs. The first one, honestly, they're just being nice to you because it really wasn't that great. But anyways, they kind of keep going. You also have a bucket of water over here too, just in case, right? I mean, just in case, you got a bucket of water. You keep going down the line, you're hearing the oohs and the ahs, it's going well. You get to this one, this one that you spend a little bit more money on, and it's, um, it's like what they call a Roman candle. It has multiple fireworks that come out of a tube. And uh, you go down and you, you light it, and as you light it and you come back up, your, your lighter kind of tips it forward, um, and it's facing and it's now lighting off multiple fireworks at your family and your friends. And oh, by the way, the grass is now a little bit on fire, and so the other fuses, remember the ones you fused together? Well, they're all going off all at the same time. So you have fireworks shooting at people, fireworks shooting up, there's smoke everywhere, all you can hear is screams and people running, and literally all you see is your wife just shaking her head and picking up random children and bringing them into safety, right? So what do you do? Well, you have to go take that bucket of water and you've got to throw it onto the fireworks, all that money that you literally just wasted. So you throw it on, the smoke kind of clears, and you realize there's nobody in the yard. <laughs> Nobody's there, right? They're not going to stick around. Um, to protect the innocent, I will not say whether this did or did not happen. Can you imagine if the person lighting the fireworks did nothing? They just let them blow up and shoot at people, and they didn't think to have water, they didn't do anything. They just let it happen, right? Can you imagine? That's kind of how the verses are today. There's a similar feel to this story. James is going to show us how we can obey God and help people when they've walked away or they've fallen from truth. 
James starts in verse 19 by addressing brothers and sisters. This is not just church leaders. It's not just a select few. He's talking to all of those people who love and profess Jesus as Savior. Do you profess Jesus as your Savior? Then he's talking to you. He's talking to us. James now moves on and he moves to the phrase, wanders from the truth. As a believer, you can wander from doctrine or biblical teaching by not believing core foundations of the faith. Man, do we see that today, right? An example today is that entire deconstruction conversation or movement. So many people are literally walking away from the faith and its foundational teachings. And I know many people in my life who that's happened to in the last years. I'm sure you might know some of them too. What do we do in that case? How do we help? Can you help? James says, you can. In fact, James says, as a believer, you're a key component in that process. The word wander can also mean that you're wandering because of some behavior that's contrary to the Bible or contrary to the gospel. Maybe it's dabbling in places and areas that you as a believer know you shouldn't be in. Um, There are literally so many options where sin can start to take root in our lives and go unchecked and go down a bad path, right? So James makes it really clear that believers wander. We roam. We stray from the truth. We're prone to wander like the hymn says. Left to our own, believers definitely can and will stray from the truth. It's a certain fact that our propensity is to wander if left on our own. Listen to 2 Peter 2 verses 20 and verses 22. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Verse 22, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow in the mire. But then James interjects the solution to this problem. And like many other places in Scripture, God chooses to use us, messed up believers, to help other believers not wander from the truth. Listen again. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whatever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of of sins. The someone here refers to one of the brothers or the sisters that was referred to earlier. Okay, how many of us know right now someone who's living on the edge of their behavior or, or they've got some new beliefs? Maybe um, you have a friend and they's, they've been through some trauma, honestly, maybe a bunch of hurts. And now that person is living a life 
that doesn't model Jesus at all. In fact, maybe they're partying it up and choosing ways of living that they totally denounced in the past. There's a few ways to know when someone is in desperate trouble with their faith. But one way to always tell is that they slowly remove all things related to truth from their life. Maybe they attended a Bible study, and now they don't come. Maybe their attendance at church is spotty, or they just don't do that anymore. In some really extreme cases, their entire friend groups change. They don't hang with those who who guide or point them to Jesus. These, These persons have literally found a way to remove truth from their lives. I mean, after all, it's easier to live this new kind of sinful pattern and not be confronted with it on a daily basis, right? Wandering will keep you from the truth. Or truth will keep you from wandering. We have the choice. As sin creeps in, people have the option to move towards or away from truth. So James makes it clear that we, that you, all believers, we have the obligation to help those who wander around us. God prescribes his children to be used to keep people from death and destruction. This analogy I read this week, it's like a lumberjack needs an axe to take down a tree. God, the lumberjack, decided and prescribed that he uses us, like the axe, to take down the tree. Okay, of course God is God. And he can use a multitude of ways to point someone back to Jesus or give them opportunity to be back in communion with him. But in this passage, he prescribes us, believers, John Piper says, God has ordained us to walk and live and exhort one another to truth. And let's be honest, (laughs) this can be really awkward. It can lead to hard conversations and situations. It can lead to times of distance with those that you love. It can lead to complete relational division. And everybody loves relational conflict, right? No. In fact, most of us stay as far away from that as possible. We shy away. We watch it happen, and we do nothing. We see a believer in trouble, and we turn away, and we pray that someone else might say something. Or or maybe the preacher will say something on, on the Sunday morning that they're there and their hearts might be turned back towards Jesus. That's totally possible, but James is prescribing you as a part of the answer. You, the person who has a personal relationship with that individual. He's not prescribing a bunch of other people. He's not prescribing the grandeur of nature to point someone back. He's not prescribing the angels. He's, he, in this verse, he's not prescribing just church leaders or a select few. No, it's you. Y-O-U. You, a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ. 
Why does God have us a part of this solution? Well, because of verse 20. Listen to it. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Death here is referring to the way of error or the way of the world. The world produces death. Jesus provides life. Some may take this to question, does this statement mean a believer can lose their salvation? Well, there's many different thoughts on that, but simply put here, James is writing this to brothers and sisters in Christ. So the assumption is already that he's talking to believers. The word death in this passage is pointing towards the fact that sin has consequences in our lives. Any step away from truth is a step towards death. I think many of us know someone who's strayed away. Maybe they haven't even come back. As a believer walks farther and farther from truth, they literally sin more and more with no regard for what's right. They say in the verse, it's a multitude of sins. Maybe first it's looking at some things on Instagram that you know aren't right, but you look at them. Then it leads to pornography. Then it leads to putting oneself in places that feed that desire. Then it's an affair. Then it's walking away from your family. You get the picture. It gets deeper and deeper into death and destruction. And the believer creates scenarios that are detrimental to themselves and honestly, all those around them. Sin affects you directly. But it also can have devastating effects on those around you. In that last example I just gave, think or imagine of the damage to the other spouse, to the kids in that situation, to the friendships, and ultimately to the damage to the name of Jesus. So if you know someone in your life who's wandering right now, there's some practical steps and actions as a believer to help restore them. Restoration is the goal, but let me be really clear. Restoration to Jesus. Because if restoration with Jesus occurs, the other areas that need to be restored will most likely follow. Relationships, friendships, health. Concentrate on their walk with Christ and their faith. All the other things will most likely work themselves out if the first, Jesus and them, are reconciled. My mom used to always say, you put the first thing first, and you get the first and the second. If you put the second thing first, a lot of times you get neither. So how do we do this? How do we help direct someone away from death and back towards truth? Let's turn to some other scriptures to help us understand how to love people well. Galatians 6.1 is the first one. Brethren, If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also may be tempted. 
the key word I want to focus on in this verse today is gentle. No one wants to be confronted in a mean, demeaning, judgmental, arrogant way. In fact, I would say that that seldom works. If the person is already in the wrong, the last thing you want to do is put them on the defensive, right? What do people do when they feel attacked? They run away or they fight back, fight or flight. Neither are what we want to do in this situation. You want to create a safe space for someone to feel loved enough that you care about their spiritual well-being. And here's the hard part. I can say this because I've failed at it many a times. You, as the person who needs to go, may be offended and probably have been hurt by that individual. Right? It's a reality. If you've walked this, you know that that's really a part of the situation most times. You have to put that aside sacrificially and with a gentle spirit put their well-being above yours for a time. That's hard. But that's God's prescription for us. Another verse that helps us know how to handle this is Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. That's Matthew 18. That's the beginning of the Matthew 18 process that we talk about in our membership class. Um, The key here is, for me today, is in private. Don't go talking with all your friends about how much this person is a mess and you're going to go confront them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Essentially, without having gone to that believer in trouble first, you're gossiping or worse, you're using the situation to put yourself on a pedestal. You're making the situation about you. You're going to go and you're going to help save this person. That's not going to help the person you love. Next verse, don't think of them as enemies, but speak to them as you would to a Christian who needs to be warned. 2 Thessalonians 3.15. Here the key is love, compassion. This is not your enemy. This is your brother or sister in Christ. This is born out of a place of love for the person, not a place of hurt. In fact, I would say if you're more angry at the person than you are sad or worried about the person's spiritual well-being, don't go. Your heart needs to be one of love or your, your sin of anger could cause the person to move farther and farther away from truth. Compassion is the approach. Treat others as you would have them treat you, Matthew 7, 12. Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4, 15. We already did Galatians 1 with the spirit of gentleness. And never give up, 2 Peter 3, 9. One awkward conversation is not enough. If you love the person, continue to lovingly share the truth and point them to Jesus. Put yourself aside and do the hard but the right 
thing. And then lastly, Matthew 7, 5. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If you're going to go and lovingly confront a fellow believing friend or a family member, you must start with humility. You are no different than they are. You sin daily. You're prone to wander. I would literally say, make an inventory of where you are wrong. Sit down before you go and work out your sin with God. Confess. I honestly believe that if you do that humble repentance in your life before you go, you have a much greater chance of conveying love and compassion because you realize both of you have at one point been in a similar place. So as we apply this today to our own lives, I think we have to ask two questions. Do you have a friend or a family member that you need to lovingly, compassionately, gently guide back to truth? Then as a part of God's holy plan for restoration, you need to pray. Humble yourself. Come from a place of love and not hurt and gently meet with that friend or family member who's walking towards death and a multitude of sins. This is a hard statement right here, but to not do that would be contrary to God's plan. It's not easy. It could even hurt. It probably will. And it's going to cause stress, but it's God's plan. Or, today, second question, are you the wanderer? Are you roaming farther away from truth, from biblical doctrine, day by day? Is there an area in your life that's causing you to walk away from believers, from biblical doctrine, or, or from your faith? To wander from truth is to wander towards death. It's spiritual suicide. Any roaming away is one step closer to the grave. Instead, take one step towards Christ. Imagine um, with me yourself and you're standing on the shoreline of life, you're on a beach, and there's a bunch of friends around, um, friends and family members. And uh, as you're there, you notice that one of your friends starts to jump into the water. And they go farther and farther and farther away from safety. The water at first is just, it's hitting their knees. And you see it, it's out there, it looks a little odd, but you don't really say or do anything about that. Um, then, then the water gets to their waist, and, you know, if you've been in the ocean, um, you're, when the water gets to your waist, it, you're a little unsteady, right? And then they keep going farther and farther out, and now it's up to their chest, and they're having to kind of bob up and down in the waves to stay afloat, right? And then um, it gets, they're literally on their tippy toes, 
to stay above the water, right? And then finally, they can't touch the ground at all. They're far enough out that they can't touch it. This friend is now struggling to stay afloat, struggling to keep their head above water and keep life in their lungs. They're literally going, (gasps) (gasps) and as they tread, it gets more intense and more intense. They may go to unwanted behaviors from the past to tread water and stay afloat, but it's sinking them deeper and deeper. Now you and your friends and your family, you're all there on the shoreline and you're watching this occur. Maybe when the water was up to the person's chest, one person on the shore might have quietly reached out and said, hey bro, are you okay? Maybe those around you on the shore, they're hurling insults or they're they're hurling accusations. Why are you out there? You should have known it would have gotten you to this place. I can't believe you don't know why you're in this situation. Dude, get yourself together. I told you so. I think Christians can do a real good job of that, can't they? It's a whole lot easier to stand here with your friends and talk about what's going on in front of you than actually doing something about it. What are you doing? Are you shouting accusations? Are you judging? Are you ignoring and just looking at your phone because you don't want to deal with the situation? Are you standing there and just being quiet and doing nothing, fully aware of what's happening, but doing zero? What is God asking us to do in this passage? God is asking you to grab a life preserver, a ring, and swim out into what is scary and help a brother or a sister. Without you, they are facing death and destruction. Will they fight you at first? Yes. Will you possibly get dunked a few times? Yes. Is it intense and scary? Yes, but with compassion, love, gentleness, the life preserver, and God, you may save the individual from certain death. And let's be real. I think it's so easy for us Christians to imagine ourselves on the shore watching this happen to someone else, right? But the truth is, in a room this size, there are some people in here who are most likely drowning. You're sinking. The waves are getting deeper. You're getting deeper and deeper into the water. You're losing control of your breathing. You're drowning. There are people who are hurting you with statements. Maybe a few people reached out, but but you literally are drowning. At some point in your life, if it hasn't already happened, it probably can or will happen in the future. Is that you today? Are you drowning? You desperately want and need someone to come after you and point you to Jesus. So if you're drowning, if you're taking that next step away from truth and towards death, turn. Take a step towards Jesus. Do it today. 
Maybe you need to stop fighting those who are coming to you and trying to offer help. Or maybe you need to reach out to a brother or a sister in Christ or a friend to help point you towards Jesus. Take that step. Either place in this story, you've got a step to take this morning. We're sinful. We wander. We're prone to it. That's not the question. That's a statement. So James is saying in this passage to live in community. And he's giving us these two options. Either step out of your comfort to help a fellow believer from death, or if you're drowning, reach out and accept help. Let's pray. Lord, I know um, this morning this has hit me hard this week because as I've walked through my life, um, I have not done this well. (laughs) There's times I have, but there's many times that I have not. And Lord, I want to pray for three different categories this morning. First, for for those who have someone in their life who they know is just kind of taking steps away from truth, away from you, Father. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't stand on the shoreline and watch it occur. That we would lovingly, compassionately, gently go to that person, put ourself and our hurt aside, and help point that person towards Jesus. And Lord, for anyone in this room who who may be feeling like they're drowning, maybe you just realized that this morning, maybe this morning is the first time you realized, oh my gosh, I think I'm getting farther and farther away and I didn't even know it. Lord, I pray that, um, that they would reach out. They'd come to me. They'd go to the prayer area in the back. They would talk with their friend that brought them, Lord. That they would take a step towards truth today. And finally, um, Lord, I think of that last group of people. There's a group of people in here maybe who don't even know what I'm talking about because they don't know or understand the truth or the gospel. Lord, if you're moving in their heart, I pray that they would take the step of talking with someone to understand about this relationship with Jesus that we talk about here. Father, use us. Help us to be obedient this morning. This can be hard, but it's what you've prescribed. We love you, Lord. It's in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.